God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Hey everybody, welcome back to Family Discussion. This is Mark Stratega, and as always, I'm joined by Lisa Spencer. And uh, Lisa, we're late on this episode by a full week. Uh, we managed yes, we to, are. yeah, we, we, whoops, sorry. Um, here's the thing, we, we would love to have put this out on Martin Luther King weekend, but um, we didn't have a chance to record it for about a week, just because schedules and yeah. busyness Life. and it, yeah, and I travel a lot this year. So I'm just, it's hard for me to get to the microphone to have this conversation, which is a bummer because we used to do this every single week. And now it's like every other week, we hope just because of the way scheduling works. But uh, yeah. Um, But before we get to our topic, um, you were giving me a little information before we started about uh, a, a holiday, I guess it is, a celebration that I've never celebrated. It's not been a part of my culture. Uh, Lunar New Year. When was Lunar New Year? It actually officially started yesterday. Oh, all right. Yesterday as in what? As in... Yeah, the ju- oh, I'm sorry. Not yesterday, because this is being uh, published on Tuesday, the 24th. Yeah. I, so, I don't know. I don't know so dates Sunday, anymore. Yeah, so Sunday, January 22nd was the official okay. mark of Lunar New Year. And the reason I say mark, because this is an important celebration in many Asian uh, communities. We, we've known it as Chinese New Year, but that's really okay. restrictive because there are several mm. Asian um, countries that celebrate Lunar New Year, including Vietnam, the Philippines, uh, South Korea. So, and, and each of them have a different kind of twist on, on traditions, um, although you will find common elements. But it is okay. the mark of the, the, of, of the New Year based on the lunar calendar. Awesome. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you have read anything in the news about China and I mean, basically businesses shut down like for days and there's these massive uh, celebrations around Lunar New Year. Okay. I see. I, this is, I, I, I knew of the Chinese New Year. Um, mm-hmm. So this is helpful because I, I didn't equate the two. Um, and it's, it, you know, I, I didn't realize that so many other nations celebrated this. Um, now, you're, you celebrated this by getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning. So, like, what Well, uh, no, what were you the, up to at, like, four in the morning for this? That Well, no, that's coming up for an, in a TV interview uh, because my organization that I manage, Local Colors, we uh, collaborate with our local arts museum, the Taubman Museum of Art, and this will be our 12th year doing this. 
uh, for a celebration of Lunar New Year. So it's a okay. two-hour program that occurs at the museum. And let me tell you, their space is absolutely beautiful. Mm. And it is like the perfect venue to have this kind of event. And so, you know, we invited a local uh, college professor. There'll be performances. There'll be song and dance. And, you know, and, and looking at traditional elements of, um, of Lunar New Year also. So that's happening Saturday, February 4th. But there's, you know, these kind of events, there are usually TV interviews involved. And one of them involves getting up like way, way early <laughs> or a lot earlier than I'm accustomed to. So oh. there's that. And hats okay. off to the news anchors who do that on a daily basis. That's I was thinking about say. this actually the other day. I was thinking, <laughs> what if I was, uh, instead of doing a podcast, what if I was doing like one of those radio morning shows um, that starts at 6 a.m.? It means you have to be in the studio by 5 a.m., I assume, at the at the latest. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine my alarm going off every day at, like, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how they do it. So, all right, hats off to news anchors. Yeah. Um, and, and this one is the 5 to 7 a.m. news slot, oh, which means four, a 4.45 arrival time. <laughs> so. it's, there's a reason they have paid programming man so that nobody's got to be up for that that's uh oh my goodness <laughs> um so speaking of holidays this this is a conversation today about martin luther king weekend martin luther king day um which was january the 16th uh so we're a, a week and a day ago um but I think it's actually appropriate that we did wait a little while to release this, even though scheduling might have been more like on the money to talk about this the Tuesday after the day. Um, gave us a little time to see how people responded. Martin Luther King Day is um, kind of like one of my favorite um grab a random quote completely out of context, make a meme and post it to the internet day. Um, that's that's how we tend to celebrate. Um, love to see us celebrate by actually, you know, doing work in our communities the way that uh, maybe the Reverend Dr. King would have appreciated. But no, it is a it is the ultimate Twitter holiday. Um, oh. And I, I wonder, you know, you've seen a lot of these holidays come and go. Um, what do you think about Martin Luther King Day as kind of a concept? Like, I I like the idea of the day. I don't particularly like how we're treating it. I'm curious how you're uh, same how here. feel about it. Okay, you know, and we might probably have a difference in terms of how we celebrate it. Um, my husband and I actually went to a um, we went one of our local churches, and it was a it's an Episcopal church, and so they had um, gathered a number of a different um, um, clergy um, in the area. And, and listen, and full disclosure that, you know, and this is what you'll find it's, you know, the very liberal denominations, you know, really have, you know, they'll, they'll be the first to celebrate this day. And so it was a pretty, pretty much an hour long program. It was in the reading of his letter in a Birmingham jail. And so there was, you know, so, each clergy member would read a portion and then say a prayer. Um, and then, you know, it went, and most of the program was like that. There was a little, you know, call and response at the end. Um, and so that, you know, there's a little bit of a rub for me because it's, I think it is important to remember what he did, what he is known for. And I'm going to get into that in a minute because I think that aspect of his work 
is getting lost. The context in which he was, in which his activism was placed. So, you know, it was, in my opinion, you know, it was fitting. Um, there were a couple, of, there were a couple of spots where I was like, uh, "Really, you said that?" Um, but in terms of just acknowledging his work, um, it was a, you know, it was a decent, it was a decent program. You know, I I, I think that something like that is entirely appropriate. Um, I, I wish that in the evangelical church we took the day a little bit more um, as a day of remembering. Um, exactly who he was, what he accomplished. Um, not not in a way to kind of make him a saint, but right. just to um, just to recognize the important place in our history that he holds. Um, I, I also think you know you're talking about context. One of the things that I miss, um, at least I, I don't see it happen much. I emphasize this with our church uh, when I preached that particular weekend. Um, he was a pastor and a theologian. Um, and we focus a lot on his activism, um, which makes sense. I mean, that was his public face, but we forget that his public, um, civil rights activism was fueled by a biblical theological worldview. Um, you know, he, he is a seminary graduate. Uh, he got his, um, PhD, not his demon, like, I'm going to go for a demon at some point, right? But that's not a PhD, different world. Um, got his PhD from Boston University in systematic theology, not in sociology, not in psychology, in systematic theology. Uh, if you read his, his sermons, they are filled with um, references and quotes from theologians and philosophers. And um, he, he, you see his pastoral heart come out in a lot of his sermons and writings. Um, I think we miss a big part of that because of the secularization of, um, of, of I guess the the next iteration. I, I don't want to call it that. It's not. It's not right. Um, it's not the next iteration of the civil rights movement. Um, it's whatever is happening right now, because whatever's happening right now is so thoroughly secularized. Um, when we remember him, we tend not to remember that this was a man of faith and theology and the Bible, um, and that that drove him. And I, I wish that the church would really champion that and say, hey, this is the civil rights movement took place because the church responded. These were clergymen that were driving was driving the civil rights movement. So that's a piece of the context that I wish was emphasized a little bit more. Right. Well, unfortunately, what I've seen, it is emphasized, but in a negative way. Because, really? you know, oh, yeah, there's, you know, oh, my gosh, I mean, chatter about his theology, um, chatter Ugh. about a paper he wrote in seminary that, All you know, right. supposedly denies the resurrection. You know, listen, let, let's let's remember that when we talk about our orthodox Christianity um, and the establishments that promote that, he was denied entrance Right. Into those institutions. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about why he went to Crozer. They would have him, and the conservative institutions would not allow him to attend. And let's also, oh man, all right, full disclosure to those listening. Lisa warned me and said uh, that she might get on a little bit of a soapbox, but now now she's mentioned something's going to get me on my soapbox. This just might be a soapbox a thon today. Um, since when do we crucify people for things they wrote in seminary? Oh my goodness! Like 
when we write in seminary, we are engaging sometimes in, uh, we're experimenting theologically. That's the safe place to do it. We experiment theologically in seminary, um, and then we come out, Lord willing, um, able to discern truth from error, able to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, Everybody points to a single paper in seminary where he denies a physical resurrection and ignores the entirety of his ministry where he over and over again affirms the physical resurrection. So I just, it's, um, it's an absurdity of cherry picking in order to discredit somebody theologically um, just because right. you don't like them. And right. it's certainly not Christian. Um, it's, it's a terrible way of treating him. Yeah. And, you know, and I will say, so Carl Ellis, uh, Dr. Carl Ellis, uh, he's at RTS now, um, and he has this um, really good analysis or thesis, if you will, in terms of our Christianity, the A side and the B side. The A side is, you know, our epistemology. It's what we know. You know, so it's those doctrinal truths that we need to affirm. And I think, you know, it's safe to say in our uh, conservative circles, especially now, you know, we're Presbyterian, right? And this is Amen. kind of what Presbyterians are known, known for, our, mm -hmm. our superior theology. I laugh because there's this Reformed pastor who's been doing these videos, and he does these different oh, denominations, yeah. and he always refers to the Presbyterians as having superior theology. But that's how that's how we do, right? I mean, it's how we view ourselves. I, I think maybe and, a dose of humility wouldn't go a long way for us. <laughs> right, but, we need yeah, a lot of humility. <laughs> but it's you know it's what we know. The B side is our ethics. It's the orthopraxy. Mm. It's what's born out right. of what we know. It's love of God, love of it, the love of neighbor. You know, it, it's how do we live out our faith? What? King was about, his activism was born out of a Christian ethic that was motivated by the B-side. Mm-hmm. Amen. And what is it that Jesus said? You will know them by their fruit. Now, listen, Dr. King was not a perfect human being. No. Nobody would say that he was perfect. He wouldn't say he was perfect. Um, you know, uh, the other big criticism I see that come from conservative circles is, um, his, uh, his adultery, yes. um, which is something that, um, people close to him did report that he was, um, repentant of, that he was heartbroken over. He did oh, it. See, I didn't, I didn't know that part. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I think it was, um, Micah Edmondson. I think I heard talking about this at one point. Um, but like he did it. He did it. Right. That's, um, but again, the fruit that we see in his life portrays a believer who sinned, who maybe in our tradition would not be able to hold ordained office any longer. Um, that does not negate the impact, the positive impact he had in the United States, the positive impact he had in not just the civil rights movement, but the peace movement, the anti-poverty movement. He is a deeply influential person um, who loved the Lord, who was loved by the Lord and was used by the Lord in powerful ways. Um, and the, the conservative talking points to discredit him betray more um, a warped ideology in that talker than it does in Dr. King himself.
Um, but it's not just conservatives who uh, like to kind mm-hmm. of cherry pick and, and twist up the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Our friends on the other side of the aisle, our liberal friends, would also um, really like to just take his stuff and, and go. And Lisa, I know that um, you saw some things over Martin Luther King weekend that um, had you texting me and saying, we got to talk about MLK Day on the podcast. So what, what are some of the things you were seeing? I'm glad you said about the both sides because that's what I want to address. And again, I want to go back to understanding his context. What what do we recognize Dr. King for? So I want to paint just a little picture of the world that exists, especially in the South, right? We're talking Jim Crow, where there were decades upon decades post-Reconstruction. You know, we had some... Um, some movement on uh, the Reconstruction era, era that ended in 1877. From there, it was this reign of terror in the South, where Black citizens were had a certain place, and it wasn't in the mainstream white society, right? You could be there as a servant. You could be there wherever the white man told you to go. But basically, your place, you, you had a place, and it was a second um you know, it was a second place citizenship, not even citizenship, because black citizens, especially in the South, were not afforded the rights of of citizenship. And you really see this aggravated um, after the Brown versus Board of Education decision, which started introducing integration, right? People went nuts. Like, no, we can't have Mm -hmm. that because it was separate, but supposedly equal, not equal, actually. Right. Um, there were, you know, separate uh, facilities, separate uh, drinking fountains. Um, black people could not um, uh, patronize a lot of establishments. You had a lot of white only establishments. Uh, if you ever watched the movie The Green Book, um, that's real stuff. You know, black travelers had to have a guide to where they could stay because they weren't welcome in um, you know, in, in hotels and whatnot. So the only certain hotels, um, would have, um, would have black travelers. And, you know, and this was, it was in the fabric of society. And it was actually even codified in some laws. Look, you didn't even have, uh, the legality of an integrated marriage until 1967. Right. Right. So and let and oh in voting. So what happened at the what happened at the polls is that black citizens were uh, they were made to jump through a lot of hoops, uh, imposed uh, poll taxes, right? Which of course the white citizens didn't have mm-hmm. to pay. Um, these ridiculous tests to show that they were they you know even had the aptitude uh, to vote, and they were so I mean they were just so the questions were so ridiculous, and and it was meant to prevent that black vote. Um, This is, and then of course that, you know, that was, um, uh, you know, in terms of how the police treated um, black students, the police, the law, um, the legal institutions, all of it, it was in the fabric of society. This is the world that he was addressing that was unjust. Black citizens were not afforded um, equal citizenship it was unjust. It was unfair. 
Um, and it was just not the way, it was not in keeping with the founding principles noted in the Constitution, right? That all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and by the way, Dr. King did point to those, you know, those founding principles from time to time. So because of this and motivated out of this Christian ethic, this was his, this is how, his, where his activism was, you know, was geared towards. So when I hear things like, well, you know, he, uh, he was an adulterer. He denied the resurrection. He was a Marxist, right? This is uh. the, what this is the, the, in recent years, this is the one that I have really just, you know, <laughs> I have just like, really? Okay. So maybe like you mentioned, his work motivated the anti-poverty movement, um, for sure. Some of, you know, his, his work was the impetus for what you could class, you know, classify as kind of, you know, Marxist ideology, but what he was addressing, what he was known for, right? Because even in his later speeches, and you'll notice a difference between like, you look at his earlier speeches versus his, you know, the speeches at the end of his life. And this was after it, you know, federal legislation have, had been, um, had been instituted because of his work. Um, you know, and you know, you, you say that, but what he is known for was addressing this unjust system that was in place. He was all about equality for the black citizen. So, and what's, and what's real, I'm going to talk to the black folks for a minute because this really disturbs me. Uh, I, you know, I, I I see these posts and tweets from black folks who probably afforded every opportunity, right, for for jobs, walking to any institution they want to, probably sitting uh at a coffee shop of which the doors were flung wide open for them, probably got good service too for their latte, lobbing criticisms from their MacBook or thousand dollar iPhone about how King was a Marxist, please. It was because of his work, because of the catalyst of what he started, that you're even able to sit there with all of your opportunities. Uh, so that I mean, that just, really that just really disturbs me. Oh, it 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 makes me upset as well. Also, just from the a very basic, he addressed communism while he was alive. He wrote sermons denouncing communism. He was very clearly not a Marxist in his own words. So to call him a Marxist is to ignore his own writing, ignore his own his his own work, even in sectors like the anti-poverty and peace movements. Um, to be involved in anti-poverty movement is not to be a Marxist. It's to want to eradicate poverty. Well, we all want to eradicate the Westminster Larger Catechism tells us we are to be working against poverty by trying to build up um, really not only our own well-being, but the economic well-being of everyone around us as well. Like, this is not Marxism. This is Christianity. And um, to lose sight of that in order to score points in a culture war is absolutely nuts. It's awful. And... um, I'm glad you spoke to it because when I speak to it, I just sound like the angry 
uh, you know, I'm, oh, there's the progressive Marcos social justice warrior going off again. Um, so I'm glad you spoke to it because it does. It gets under my skin. And it's like, you have no idea. You use words like Marxist and communist to describe Dr. King. All you're doing is betraying a, a profound lack of understanding of yeah. his entire life and ministry. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, even if that was true, that's not what he's known for. That's not what he got the Nobel Prize for. That that's right. not what his work contributed towards. Um, and so it it's just very it's disturbing. But I, I'm glad that you talked about both sides because I'm gonna get everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, and so then on the flip side, you have those who are oriented towards an you know anti-racism CRT kind of friendly platform. Um, that values equity over equality, that I will actually criticize <laughs> criticize people that, you know, point to his, like his I have a dream speech, right? Um, and I think this was the, his quintessentially what King was about um, because what was happening? People were being judged according to the color of their skin. They were being um, treated uh, unfairly because of the color of their skin. And I would think as Christians, we would want, you know, we would say, no, that's, you know, that's not what we want. But here's what I, here's what, here's what I've observed. It's when you can't point to that as a body of his work, when that was the thrust of his work, right? It was equal treatment. Well, you can't point to that and denigrating, um, you know, and denigrating people that, you know, that, that spoke to this, well, you know, that, that honor, acknowledged and honored him because of his promotion of equality. Well, that wasn't good enough. We can't go imposing our contemporary agendas on what his activism was addressing at that time. We just can't. Oh, and by the way, there has been a lot of progress. And we uh, should be know. able to, and we should be able to acknowledge that. And it was, and he contributed towards that progress so so is the is the criticism you're seeing um a criticism of people who are lifting up the ideals of the like what what is it that they are criticizing i i admit i have not seen a lot of this criticism oh um, it's you know uh, ba- around here's, using that i have a oh, I have. speech okay. i have it's you know you no, can't I, I, i'm not denying that it's there i'm just saying yeah. i'm not exactly sure what the critique what are they critiquing when, well, when the I, critique, if I were to quote the I have a dream speech, what would what would the criticism of me be? Um, that you're you're not acknowledging the, um, you know, how that work, what that work means today, which is a nod more towards equity than to oh. equality. Um, and again, it's it's really taking him out of its out of this context of what he was, you know, what he was addressing. So if you're not if you're not acknowledging addressing racial injustice according to the standards by which you know anti-racist uh, activism is oriented, then you're really not honoring Dr. King. And I think I think that's a misstep. I think it's misguided. And it's unfair. We have to understand King in his context and the world that he was addressing at that time. Well, absolutely. And 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 I think something you mentioned a second ago as well also has to be acknowledged. We have to acknowledge the progress um, it, that we've bought into this idea that 
if you acknowledge that things are better today, you're not, um, you don't have enough fire in the fight for more equity or more equality. So it's, it's this idea of like, well, if you say things are better, that means you are buying into the narrative. And it's like, no, I just don't think there's such a thing as legal segregation anymore. I think that there are, there are the fruits of Jim Crow are still around us. The, the, there, there are still, um, there's still de facto segregation in some cities. The city of Memphis where, uh, Dr. King was, was assassinated is still one of the most segregated cities in the country. Um, but that's not because it's in the law. That's just because it hasn't, we haven't gotten to the place yet of fixing it to say that we're in the same place is a profoundly ignorant thing to say. Um, this isn't a waving the, hey, we had a black president flag. This is the look at the law, look at the legal structure, look at what happens when a company does um, participate in this kind of racist activity. They're called out now. They're not celebrated now. They have to pay fines now. Um, we know about redlining and we know about organizations that still used redlining, even just in the last 10 years. That was called out. That was identified. That was changed. There's been progress. And we don't need things to be as bad as they were for us to say there's still work to do. To ignore the progress is actually to devalue Dr. King's legacy to say he didn't get anything done. And that's nonsense. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, that's exactly the point that I really wanted to drive home. Because I think both, like, if you look at both sides that I just addressed, it's it, the common theme is really the kind of, you know, undermining and dishonoring his work. Right. Well, there's another move that's happening, and I only want to touch on this for a second, but um, a move that I see happen around Martin Luther King Day is a, it's almost like a, a trajectory argument that says because Dr. King was, um, you know, because he was a, a leader in the civil rights movement, he would also therefore be a movement, uh, be a leader and a proponent of the LGBTQ movement. Um, now, I, I don't want to get into that that whole movement and uh, here's what i here's what i want to caution us on to look at a 21st century political debate and say well dr king would have been on my side that seems completely disingenuous and this is about the the, the context of doc of dr king's ministry the reverend dr martin luther king jr was assassinated in 1968 by the time you get to 2008 you can't say, here's what Dr. King would have thought. Right. We don't know. We don't know what he would have thought. We don't know the trajectory of his ministry. It was cut short. Like, let's, that's why the assassination is such a wicked tragedy. It was cut short by people who hated the civil rights movement. And now we don't know where he would have stood on these issues. But to claim him is used as almost a moral high ground. And I see this in political discourse today. Well, Dr. King would have agreed with me. You don't know that. You don't. Did you sit in his kitchen? Did you, did you, were you sitting there having a conversation with him? Did you march through Selma? If, if you didn't, then you don't get to say, here's what Dr. King would have thought. 
there is a, a, a rapidly shrinking group of people who get to say, here's, you know, based on my conversations with Martin Luther King Jr., here's what I think he, where I think he would have stood. And if you ask the people who did know him like that, they disagree with one another on where he would have stood on some of these issues because we can't know. And to take his, his um, activism from the 60s and drop it in 50-something years later, 60 years later, it, it's just, it's, it's it, criminal logic and an absolute impossibility for us. It's, it's just, it's trying to score points in one of the, the cheapest ways possible say hey one of the that hero would have been on my t- all right cool like lincoln would have been on your team okay awesome you don't know lincoln nobody knows lincoln he's been dead for a long time now 160 years let's not just try and put lincoln on our side same with dr king don't just try and put dr king on your side we don't know and it drives me crazy when i when i see that like particularly among progressive circles he would have stood with us you don't know that right all right that was my little rant <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I, I think I'm done. I'm I'm going to continue to feel better. I feel better. I do because I've been, I, you know. And here's the sad part. Um, I didn't even I didn't I didn't post anything. I didn't tweet anything. Uh, on MLK Day, just because I I saw like whatever I say, it's going. You know, there's going to be you know one group or another who's going to have issues with it. And 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 I think we've just really gotten away from what he was addressing. I mean, folks act like, you know, there there wasn't these significant issues in our society at that time and just want a springboard for for their little platforms. You know, and that to me is what is it's disturbing. Well, let me let me ask you this question, Lisa, as a way of closing up this this episode. Um there, there are appropriate ways to acknowledge and honor the contribution of, of Dr. King in our society, and, and especially as Christians, because he was a Christian minister, and so he, we get to claim him in the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, of course, the black community gets to look at him with, with the, the pride and honor that he is owed and, and that he deserved. Um, how, how should we honor him? What are some appropriate ways for us to honor him and celebrate him uh, today. I mean, what are some things that you think we can participate in as we're thinking back on last week's celebrations, thinking ahead to next year when we do this again? Um, what are some of those appropriate ways for us to honor Dr. King's legacy? Yeah, I think, you know, the observation that I went to, um, I, I think that that was very appropriate, you know, to acknowledge his work. Um I would caution against using his work for present day activism, you know, and especially present day activism that does um, promote, you know, that is more part of an anti-racist platform, which I have, you know, I have some issues with. Um, I don't even know that he would be in favor. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm cautioning myself and doing, not doing what you just said. Like, don't do that. <laughs> um, we don't know. We don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it could, could have been like, you know, if he was allowed to live, you know, longer, he, you know, that could have been the trajectory. I don't know. But, um, you know, to treat him as if, as a mascot, mm. I think that's what we want to avoid. 
We don't want to use him as a mascot. We want to honor him for the work that he did. Yes. In the context that he did it. Yes. I think, you know, one of the things that I try and do, um, you know, we as a family, you know, we're raising two girls. Um, and there is a there is a video. I think it's a, a cartoon video that we showed my eight year old um, mm-hmm. about this is who, you know, who Dr. King was. And um, this is how we should understand uh, what he did and why he was so important. Um and it was a helpful video. It was like 10 minutes long. It's her attention span. She, she was asking questions. She's like, who is Martin Luther King? You know, we're all talking about him. And so, you know, and it was age appropriate. I think education's big. Mm-hmm. I think um, spending time learning about who he is. We have mascoted him. Um, I think that's a great way of, of describing it. And I think if we just spend some time on Martin Luther King weekend, um, educating ourselves on who he was and what he did as a way, I think that would honor him greatly. Um, not trying to use him for our own political ends, but actually just there is, um, there's value in just learning our history and sitting with our history and honoring somebody who did incredible things. And um, we don't have to turn him into a mascot to do that. So I think right. education might be another important thing to do on that weekend. Yeah, and I'll tell you what else. I, I what else I think would be very, very meaningful. Um, it, those establishments that were, you know, that barred, um, you know, black citizens from participation, you know, to have some kind of open house, right? So where you have those sit, you know, the count the counter sit-ins, you know, to have a day of, you know, opening the doors to. I mean, not. I mean, of course, the doors have been open, but. Um, you know, those institutions that exist that formerly bar to have a day to say, you're welcome, you are seen, you are valued. Um, I think goes a long way, you know, in, um, a DTS and, you know, later years, especially when the, um, you know, when the anti-racist CRT, you know, debates and, you know, controversy er- has erupted in the past few years. Um, this has been criticized, but, when I was so I was a DTS from 2008 to 2014, uh, of which chapel attendance was mandatory. Um, ah, I love it. <laughs> um, but uh, every MLK chapel, um, and it, it started recently prior to me coming there. The president of the of the seminary, who then was Mark Bailey, um, he would get up and announce he would disclose the DTS um at one point, you know, up to a certain point, barred black applicants. We acknowledge that. We've repented of that. We've reversed the course on that. Um and we want you to know, we want our black students to know that's not who we are. That's not what we do. Like you are you are seen, man, that goes a long way. Mm. Right? And it's just an acknowledgement to say, this is what we did and we were wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like that. Like, yeah. just, you know, open the doors, let people know that, you know, whatever that restraint, that barment, that devaluing was in, in society, we're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, Lisa, thank you for uh, bringing this conversation up and we can have a little bit of a discussion about this because it's, you know, it's a volatile weekend. It's funny because I was sharing this with somebody 
50 years ago, 60 years ago, um, Martin Luther King was an incredibly controversial character. Uh, 10 years ago, he was not controversial whatsoever. And, uh, and now, now he he's very controversial again. Um, and, and he shouldn't be. And um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this forward because this is somebody that we can celebrate and get behind and, and honor well. Um, and uh, it's important that we do that as, as followers. We are to give, we're to honor those that are worthy of honor. And he is worthy of honor. So um, thank you, Lisa, for bringing up this conversation. I hope that all of you listening enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know if you have some ideas of ways that we can honor uh, and remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, on MLK Day next year. Some things that you've done that you found really valuable for you and your family. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of Family Discussion. We'll see you then. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>